Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Frequency Podcast. I'm Dan Thompson, and I'm joined by Joe Brookhouse, who is somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. Where are you, Joe? I am at an undisclosed location at Christian Musician Summit Northwest. I'm actually recording live, and I have my own soundtrack. I've actually got a, a, a busker who is uh, playing just around the corner here from me. You might hear his voice. I think he's... <laughs> He's hoping that he might be discovered here. Um, nice. He will be discovered, but maybe beaten to death. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're having a lot of fun. This actually is a, a great place to record. There's great bandwidth, and uh, it's a gorgeous day in uh, Redmond, Washington, which is where Microsoft is headquartered. If folks are familiar with that little software company, you may may or may not be familiar with them. Yeah, I'm remotely aware of it. Okay, Joe, so what is CMS Northwest anyways? Ah, that is a Christian Musician Summit Northwest. There's actually three summits. I think there's one in Nashville, one in Buffalo, New York, and then the kind of main one is right here in uh, the Seattle area. And it's just a, it's a gathering of uh, Christian musicians from, you know, all over the country, generally regionally for this one. And uh, they're doing, uh, Sessions, you know, guitar, mandolin, piano, vocals, leadership, and uh, they feature some some fantastic artists. So it's uh, it's quite a bit of fun. Two days in uh, late fall here in the Northwest, and uh, it's not raining, which is a miracle. Nice, actually. Ironically, right now it's snowing here. Oh, it is. Well, enjoy that. Yeah. Welcome to uh, to the Atlantic Ocean and uh, coming up to winter in Prince Edward Island. So you never know what weather you're going to get here because we live on an island surrounded by water. I think that's the definition of an island, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, surrounded surrounded by water, but it's actually connected by land technically through a bridge. Um, so we do have access to the mainland. Um, but yeah, the weather can be unpredictable here. Um, and we also don't get that many conferences or, or things like that on the island because it's just too pricey. So you mean when we decide to eventually have the frequency frequency retreat or conference, uh, um, it uh, will be 12 people who could uh, afford the fare or walk across the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, we let people on the island for free, but if you want to drive off, it'll cost you 44 bucks. What? That's just the way it goes. That's, that's, that's how we keep the population <laughs> up here. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. It's free to drive on. But what a you have great to pay place to leave. you live. Um. So, yes. <laughs> that's why some people just settle here. And no one ever knew why. That's why. Because they we just have don't have the money. To leave. That's remarkable. That's, 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 uh, it's encouraging to get people on and, and discouraging for people to leave. Stay here. Yeah, it's like a retention policy at, a, at an office where you don't want good people to leave. You just have to charge them. There you go. I'm sorry you can't quit. Uh, you have to pay us $100 for severance. $100 for every year. <laughs> that's right. And actually, that's why I'm still on the podcast. I wanted to leave, but it's $45 to, uh, to quit. So. <laughs> that's right. All the rules for this podcast and Frequency.fm are based on the rules of Prince Edward Island, Canada. Excellent. Let's get those posted, and then we can make sure that our listenership drops off. Yes, if you listen once, you have to pay us $20 <laughs> to stop listening. That's right. <clears throat> well, enough about us, Joe. Why don't we, uh, why don't we get right to our feature uh interview today, which is with an artist uh, that you had quite an opportunity to, to share, uh, well, email with and communicate with and uh, got to know a bit more than I did, unfortunately. However, I did listen to his album and it was great. Uh, who, who are we going to talk to today? We are talking to Ross King. And Ross King, uh, for some folks who may not recognize the name, is a singer-songwriter. He's been around for almost 20 years. He's a uh, contemporary, actually, of Chris Tomlin and David Crowder, and uh, was really part of that pre-passion movement. In fact, I think you'll hear in the interview, he talks about going to college with Chris Tomlin and actually setting Chris Tomlin up on a blind date. <laughs> so. Okay, so he is he was uh, way back then, at the beginning. Uh, you're making him sound old, and, I, and when he hears this, he's going to be mad. And <laughs> I'm going to get the email. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm not young, so he can't be too mad. But so I guess what we're trying to set up is is Ross King may not be a household name, but he has been around the block. He's been in the business for quite some time, 
and he actually has been involved in a lot of things. We just may not necessarily know who he is specifically. Who are who are some other artists like recently that he's worked with? You know, I think the one that might stand out for a lot of folks is Benji Cowart. Um, and he, if his name isn't immediately familiar to you, it should be. He's a up-and-coming songwriter who uh, was one of the co-writers on the Big Daddy Weave hit, Redeemed. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and so he uh, uh, co-wrote uh, a couple of the songs on the album with Ross. Um, and there's some other uh, writers on there you may or not be familiar with. But he uh, he writes for Smallville Publishing, and they have uh, quite a stable of writers out there. The uh, the songs that they write on are songs that you might be familiar with. In fact, um, Jimmy Needham uh, recorded that song, uh, Clear the Stage, I believe it was t- about 2003. Mm-hmm, that's right, yeah. And that's a Ross King song, so if you're familiar with that, uh, Ross wrote that song. Yeah, and I think actually our church used the video of that song. Uh, I was all writing on a wall, but it was all the lyrics of that song. And that was well before I knew who Ross King was. I just figured it was a Jimmy Needham thing. Um, so it's amazing how somebody can be involved in the business and, and you just don't know who they are. Um, but obviously a gifted writer. Um, well, I'm, I'm very happy that we have the chance to share his story with folks and uh, that more people will end up knowing who he is through this podcast. Yeah, and I think they'll, he'll, uh, he'll gain a lot of fans. He uh, deserves them. Yeah, and actually I did listen to the album a, a number of times in its entirety, and the arrangements, the production, and his voice are all uh, top-notch. For a guy who is mostly a songwriter, he's actually quite skilled as an artist. He is, and I'll, I'll tell you a little more about the recording when uh, we get on the other side of the interview. Well, without further ado, why don't we head right into the interview between Joe Brookhouse and Ross King. Hi, this is Joe Brookhouse. It's time for another interview at Frequency, and this morning we're uh, very pleased to be joined by veteran singer-songwriter Ross King from his home in Bryan, Texas. Bryan, Texas, right? Yep. All right, great to have you on here, man. Thanks, Joe. Great to be here. So we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff, and I have a feeling we're going to be talking a long time. So uh, folks who are, who are listening, just keep in mind that we're enjoying the conversation, and there's a, a lot of important things to talk about. Of course, if this is only 10 minutes long, then you'll know that uh, I cared nothing about what Ross said. <laughs> That's likely. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've been talking a little bit ahead of time, so um, forgive if I'm a little snarky. So we're going to talk about the new album, This Hope Will Guide Me. When did that come out, Ross? Uh, it was released, I think, August 13th. Okay. And and right now we're just at the tail end of September. So it's been out for uh, a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I read uh, your press release, and so I'm going to just refer to that real quick, because one of the yeah. things that I found striking right out of the gate was the inspiration for a lot of this was an event last year. Is it okay if we dive right into that? Yeah. Great. Okay. That's fine. Well, let's see. In May of 2012, uh, my father uh, passed away in an accident, he went on a fishing trip with my brother and some friends, and he drowned. And so, you know, obviously that was shocking. My dad was in his mid-60s. And I live in the town where I grew up, so uh, my parents, you know, live lived here as well. And so, you know, just uh, immediately that, that night, getting a call late at night, you know, um, my brother in, in frantic, and he's in the middle of chest compressions basically you know when he calls me and and says you got to go tell mom you know so i i had to you know get dressed and you know i'm yeah i remember looking through my closet just sort of frantically what am i doing what's happening here you know so anyway i I got in the car and went over to my mom's house and knocked on the door and woke her up and you know and said uh you know dad dad's gone and you know something happened And and i'm still the information i have at that point is is pretty vague but i know that that he's that he's died and so um you know she's they were deeply deeply in love and uh really both godly godly people who just loved each other and lived life together for years and years and years so it was a you know it's pretty crazy you know and so from that moment obviously a lot of the when you're writing music about heaven and jesus and the overcoming of death and you know you do a lot of that in theory for a lot of your career, I did a lot of my career. So this obviously put some 
some uh, some I had to prove it a little bit. You know, I wanted to see if it, if it was really true. So that that's where a lot of the songs came. You know, one of the things that I th- is noteworthy to me um, when I think of that kind of loss, especially mm-hmm. as it uh, worked through in a cathartic way musically. One of the first things I think of, excuse the reference, is Sting did the Soul Cages, and I don't know if you're mm-hmm. familiar with that album. Oh yeah, it's um, one of my favorites. It's a fantastic album, but man, it's not an upbeat album. Right. And when I think about my own father, I just, it drags me down, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. it's cathartic. But when I'm listening to yours, this is not a morose, downbeat album. Right. Uh, you may be processing through stuff, but this is a very hopeful album. Was that intentional, or was that just the natural output of you working through the experience? Well, I don't think it was intentional. I mean, I, you know, I write a lot of different kinds of music, and you know, and, and obviously I'm a worship leader, and so I write a lot of worship music. But also, there's sort of two other categories, you know, and that would be I write for a, for a publisher who who pitches music for like. CCM, you know, artists and that sort of thing. And then I write like kind of singer songwriter stuff just for me and my, you know, dozens of fans, you know. And so I, <laughs> I, uh, so in that stuff, like I actually, to, to give a little backstory, basically, um, right around the time that my dad passed away, maybe a month before he, he passed away, I, I was doing a concert for just a group of fans and I was playing five or six songs. They asked me to do a mini, mini concert. I did five or six songs and I realized, Midway through, I was kind of my mind was kind of going on autopilot as it you know can do when you're doing something you've done a hundred, hundred several hundred times. So yeah. I thought about, hey, none of these songs are songs I've written recently. They're all songs I wrote four or five five years ago. And so I I thought, well, that's strange. You know, what's 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 the deal there? So I I, I realized I hadn't written anything since I since I'd been writing for this publisher and been writing in. The CCM world to pitch things. I really hadn't been writing honest as honestly as I would like. You know, I was thinking about other people, and yeah. there's a whole other conversation there about about what what stuff is on is on the radio and all that. But so I I just called my publisher and said, "Can I? I work for you, and I'm supposed to send in songs that you can pitch. But can I? Would you care if I spend some time working on just some stuff that you can't pitch?" And he said, "Yes, please. You know, I, that's like some of my favorite. It's why we signed you and all that." So I started. Doing that, well, then my dad passed away, and I began to really process in that way. And so, a lot of the more morose, thought-provoking, question-asking, unresolved stuff landed there. Um, not not on purpose. It just I had no boundaries. You know, no, no one has to sing along with what I'm doing. I don't have to sell this. I just want to just express. You know, and so a lot of that landed there. So when I do my next singer-songwriter project, you'll probably say, "Oh, well, there's there's depressing Ross or whatever." You know, because I just, there's a lot more there that's probably a lot more unresolved. And not to say that worship music has to be like a, like an episode of television where it gets all wrapped up in three and a half minutes. But I, I do think just singing about the Lord and how he, and what, how he dealt with death is by its nature celebrative. You know, it's sober, but man, it's, there's a happy ending. Absolutely. And so I wasn't shooting for that. On purpose, but it just landed there. You just get there because you start saying, "Well, Jesus beat death." Okay, well, that's really good news since someone I love died. I guess it, it does force you to to come back to that core belief. You know, do I really believe that Christ died for my sins and that the people that I love, living as Christ followers, are going to be right. joining Him in heaven? Can I celebrate that? Do I believe right. that? Yes, and and I think you know one thing I tell people about this process is that. You know, for years, growing up in the church for years, the central truth of the cross to me was that my sins are, are forgiven. And that's a, that is a central truth. There's nothing wrong with saying that's a, you know, but I, but there's two other truths that I think are sort of general big truths there. And one is that any, any suffering that I experience, Jesus understands because he experienced a great amount of suffering, both emotionally and physically. Um, and then secondly, that he went up against death and overcame it. You know, he actually faced it all the way and then beat it, you know. And those two truths became a lot more important to me after May of 2012 than even the forgiveness of sins. You know, I mean, obviously, that one still matters a ton, and I don't want to minimize that. But I was focused so much more on, okay, Jesus understands my suffering, and Jesus beats death. The record is full of those two themes, probably much more than a lot of 
a lot of praise music is really devoted to, you know, forgiveness of sins, assurance of pardon, you know, as far as, far as if you were a, a liturgy person, it's the assurance of pardon section. We love to sing about that, and, it's, and we should. But this record is a lot more devoted to those other two things, you know, which is that that uh, Jesus understands and relates to my suffering and that he conquered once and for all death. Yeah, that theme is, is very prevalent there. It doesn't hit you over the head, but I know that as I was listening to it and recognizing that time of your life, you know, I was looking to see where that might pop up, but that, that theme is definitely there. Let me uh, let me make a couple of comments about the album and maybe ask you to respond. One of the I noticed on the album, first of all, is you seem to do a really good job of, without being derivative, putting together a good, a strong lyric with a pop hook. And um, pop for some people is an evil word, but for me it's not. It just means no, that you come away word. and go, I can I can sing along with this. It's a memorable song. Uh, that's what I came away from on that. Are you going intentionally to get a hook in there? Do you go back and listen to your songs and, and try to understand if you've got that in it? Well, first of all, thank you. That's like the highest compliment a songwriter can, can at least me, can get is you, you wrote a good lyric with a pop hook. Uh, and let me say, secondly, that because the stage of my life, because of my emotional state, probably through some of this record, thousand reasons, I was more collaborative on this record than I've ever been, which is humbling for me to say. I'd rather just tell you, man, I did everything, and it was, isn't it great? But um, it really, it was so collaborative. Every single song is co-written, which is new for me. I'd never done that. And so in, it, I've got to give a lot of that credit to co-writers. You know, the collaborative pro- process ought to always bring out the best, you know, of both and even more than some of its parts, right? So that's, that's you know, i got to make sure that I say that because otherwise I'm just going to say thanks. Yeah, isn't it great that I wrote a great pop hook? <laughs> but, but, so, but, yeah, but to answer your, 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 your question, absolutely, I try for that. Um, I've been writing songs for a long time. I mean, 20 years or more. And I would say the first, the majority of those years, people, if they gave me a compliment, would have complimented my lyrics. I mean, that's just what I heard. Because um, I think that's something that I don't have a problem telling you is something I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good at, okay? But I hardly ever probably got what a beautiful melody that is, you know, or what a catchy hook. It just wasn't a strength area, you know? And... I don't know, it's probably still not, but at least now I have a I have a quality meter that probably goes, oh, okay, that's not as good as it can be. And so I just try real hard now to make sure that it's the best melody. Because the lyrics, I'm gonna, I'm usually gonna get there, and I don't know how that sounds. I'm just being, we have to know what we're good at and we're bad at, you know, but the lyrics, I can get there, and I can fight for, okay, this is gonna be compelling and this is not. Uh, but melodically, it's just harder. So I, I just made sure, you and I both heard songs where the melody was so compelling and we thought, well, I didn't say anything there, you know. And we've yeah. also heard songs where we thought, what a great lyric, but man, that's not very much fun to sing that, you know. And it's just serendipity when you can do them both, you know. It's just so much more uh, enjoyable and compelling and, you know, it goes back to that, that, that debate that a lot of people have about worship music, you know. Is it is it is it tugging at, at, at the emotions or is it theological? And I'm like, yes, it's both. And... And uh, we ought to be working harder to make sure that it is both. Doesn't, doesn't mean it always has to, be, has to be complex lyrically or that it always has to be uh, the catchiest thing in the world, but it ought to have a nice marriage of those, of those uh, elements. The world was changed, a final perfect lamb was slain. Let earth and heaven now proclaim hallelujah for the cross. I think it's probably one of the most difficult uh, uh, genres, if you can call it a genre, that a person can write in. Worship? Worship, you mean? Excuse me, yes. Worship music yeah. seems to me to be one of the hardest things that a person can do because people are uh, are coming away singing those songs more in many respects than they are talking about sermons. And that's not a slight to pastors. It's just the nature of the human brain and the way it right. processes things. Right. Um, so getting theological truth... Uh, lyrics that aren't recycled, 
and um, a melody that people can sing and want to sing. Right. I mean, all those things together, man, that's almost a yeah. nightmare when I think about it. Right. And I, and I, um, man, I mean, gosh, you're, you're exactly right. And I won't act like it's harder than manual labor, but in, but in the songwriting world, it's certainly harder because you have to meet all those criteria. And I, and I think we should hold that loosely in the sense that, um, I'd love for worship music to continue to sound different than it does. I mean, there was a period of my career where I didn't want to write worship music because I felt like it all sounded like Coldplay copying, you know, sort of. Yeah. And that was probably six or eight years ago. But I, I didn't write any worship music for a few years because I didn't trust myself to not aim for that driving Britpop anthem, you know. And yeah. that isn't bad. It's just I didn't know how to do it. So I, I'd, I'd love for worship music to continue to, to, to push against those walls. But ha- having said that, yeah, I mean, when I when I'm in you know Nashville or wherever trying to write worship, I mean the the ratios are terrible for what I aim for versus versus when I feel like oh we landed that you know and 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 my gauge is always would I lead this or maybe more more frankly do I want to lead this like I leave the room and we've written a song and yeah I can't wait to get to my church and my people and, and lead that and that's just that's hardly ever the answer is hardly ever yes you know I I had. Uh, 30 or 40 songs that were in the genre of worship. I just did an air quote. So yep. uh, in the genre of worship, walking into this this record and, and chose 12, and I probably could have chosen 10. You know, I probably should have filed that down even farther. But is it good enough sonically? Is it theologically makes sense? Is it derivative? Is it the same old, same old? Is it just hallelujah praise you over and over and over again? And if so, is that okay? Maybe is it a Matt Redman moment where he just said something real plain and it worked perfectly? You know, right? Uh, on and on and on, right? Is it is the range too much for anybody but one person to sing? Uh, you know, those kind of things. And even then, you say, well, okay, maybe it is, and maybe that that's okay. You know, and there's a a bazillion sort of criteria there. And so you're right; it is you you can you can go too far and scientifically critique it to death where you take a good song and ruin it you know there's a song on my record called look and see that i did not want to do because it was too rangy it was the the low and the high were too much and in my 150 person congregation at 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 my church it it was harder to make it work but but i but but i saw it done in some bigger places and was like oh okay well wow that's that really works we just gotta stick with, with it and make folks work for it you know so I'm, I'm all over the map here, but I'm just saying that, yes, it's it's weird. It's a strange criteria, and, and I like to have that criteria and also hold it loosely. You are performing your songs, leading your congregation in songs that you're writing. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, I think that, my opinion, that could be one of the critical failures in many worship songwriters, is Probably. that they write them wanting people to hear them, but maybe not their own congregation. So tell me, when you're introducing a song to your congregation, how quickly do you know that it's going to work for them? Huh. It's funny because I would rather lead it for your congregation than mine mm-hmm. the, the first time. Because I, because my people will look down there at the little CCLI no, no, notation at, at the bottom, and they'll be like, oh, Ross wrote that. you know. Or I'm, in my mind, I'm imagining that they're saying right. that. You know, yeah. I'm going, that's why it's not very good. I was going to say this isn't very good. Now I know why mm-hmm. Ross wrote that. You know, so I hate that whole like just trial and error of it, but I try not to judge it the first time because that's just vanity, you know. Mm-hmm. And gosh, what what things in the world do people learn the first time that they're shown it, right? And and certainly an emotional connection and connection with with the Lord. I mean, come on, it's it's silly. So I usually give it three or four times if I can bear to keep doing it, right? I mean, like yeah. like look and see. What I'll, I'll say is something that was really interesting about the, the album was. Before this album, I, I always on worship albums said I won't record anything I haven't led, and I just that's crazy. I don't know why I did that because so often with now that worship is on it, it, it is on the radio, songs are introduced to people before they're brought to you. You might hear them; they might hear them some, somewhere else. So before they're brought by their leader, okay, they might hear them some, somewhere else, right? So you have this sort of an ingrained oh they hear that oh I, I I like that song I heard that song from from Chris Tomlin or from whatever. I don't know why I didn't feel that way about my own record. So what I ended up doing was um, I had several songs I'd led for our congregation that hadn't worked, but but I was but I and my producer and my publisher and whoever else was involved in the process were convinced that they needed to go on this yeah. on this a- album. So I just stopped doing them. 
and then finish the album. And so then I, it took the pressure off my church band to like be the, the arrangers and producers of the album and the deliverers of its perfect pre- presentation. Instead, I presented it through the, through the album and then brought them back around. And it was like a whole new world. You know, there were these songs that did not work the first time that me and my band arranged them and they were all right. And then we arranged them in the studio and the band sort of emulated that. And, and then some of the audience that's there has the, has the record and has heard it. I mean, that, it's a really strange, there were some strange realizations I had there, that, you know, about the various mediums and how they can affect people's perception. Cause there are, like, look and see, for example, is this song, you know, that it was the other guy that I, that I wrote it with. It worked great for his people and I just wasn't getting it. Um, I even had some friends who were saying, yeah, I don't know why that's a big hit for his people. We don't care for it or whatever. <laughs> and then, I did it on the record and it was just gangbusters, like just, you know, it's barn burning, you know, just so good. And, uh, the production just made it happen, you know, and then, and then I brought it back to the audience, the, the congregation and they loved it, you know, it's just so weird how that stuff, cause ideally every great song ought to be good on an acoustic or on a piano, right? All by itself. But that's just not true anymore. Uh, let me, let's talk about a particular song because, uh, right. I like to share songs for people that I'm interviewing with my wife because yeah. she doesn't like Christian music. Oh, man, good for her. Yeah, so I'll play something for her, and she's great judge. She'll be like, yeah, you know, whatever. But I played uh, one response Mm. um, this morning for her, which is one that really caught my attention, and I kept singing over and over again in the car. Um, And that's one that she's like, yeah, yeah, that's good. I like that, Mm. which to me is tantamount to the world is going to end one of the signs of the apocalypse, you know. (laughs) Yeah. one of my favorite probably uh dark horse moments on the record it's a guy named benji cowart who is mm-hmm. up for songwriter of the year this year i mean he's just a fantastic songwriter he wrote he co-wrote that uh redeemed with uh big daddy weave it's was a n- multi-week n- num- number one and benji and i've been friends uh, for a while and since way before he was su- such a big deal he won't take take, take my calls now <laughs> benji please please call me back benji no i'm joking um <laughs> We met in the lobby of one of these writing publishing houses on one of my my, my Nashville trips, and he he lived at the time in in Buffalo, New, New York, and was writing for or negotiating a writing deal with somebody. So he was making trips down to Nashville too, and so we just happened to be in the lobby at the same time. Mutual friend was there, and we oh hey I'm, I've heard your name I've heard your name so hey let's write sometime. Well, I was in Nashville for an extended period then, and he he, he headed back home. And we arranged a, a Skype meeting, and so we wrote we, we wrote over Skype. Actually, the first time ever, which is I would never, you know, that's not that's not an ideal way to no. do it, first time. But we did it, and just you know, he, I don't remember which one of us had this this idea. I think I had written down something something about you know uh, there are no clothes I could wear to cover my sin. I think that was maybe maybe a line that I, I already had or something. And so he liked it, and we started working on it. And it was just a really beautiful moment of connection where occasionally there's a moment where he said something like, uh, well, you know, it's almost like, you know, if if someone could stand as God's judge, they would accuse him of, of loving me, you know. 
And I was like, oh, you mean like this? And I just so and if some, I started just singing that. I'm like, you just wrote a great lyric, you know? And, <laughs> and then I somehow, you know, right then felt like the melody was there. Anyway, we wrote the song and I treated it the whole time in my mind. I have a hard time not compartmentalizing music when I'm writing and I treated it like it was a performance kind of a singer songwriter, not a corporate, you know, with the church involved singing song. And uh, we we finished it. There was no bridge, and we finished it. And I thought, man, what a great song! No one's gonna no one's gonna want to record this, but I love it, and he loves it, and we'll just both have some use for it. And he called me maybe I don't know a week or two later, and said, I've got this idea for a bridge, and he sent it to me. And I thought, oh, uh, th- he thinks this is a worship song because the bridge is very just like a you know three or four times you repeat the same phrase. It says everything at your feet on the altar I laid down. Very worship, very incorporated and i thought oh that's fine i hadn't thought of it as a worship song but i guess he thinks it's a worship song right you know and i didn't think of it that way even from that point this has been two or three three years ago so anyway uh he ended up they he, his church recorded some songs and they put it on there and i thought oh i guess that works and he sent me a video of the church doing it live and i thought oh, i guess you know it still didn't didn't convince me kind of back to our talk earlier about what makes a worship song and all that. I just didn't feel like it fit those those criteria. And as I started putting together songs for this this album, uh, Mark, my, my, my publisher, who was kind of helping me put together the album, said, this song has to has to be on there. It's just, it's something kind of, you know, it's just left of center enough to provoke thought and, and to kind of push the boundaries. You know, one of our goals in my publishing job is to push those boundaries of what CCM and worship can be not to just not to be odd, but because we want to continue to see excellence and art and, and, you know, new sing a new song to the Lord. Yeah. So he pushed forward and I thought, Oh, all right. And, and, and I loved it. I just didn't know that it could be that. And it's funny because it's easily, you know, a favorite among people who talk about the record or ask me, you know, things that it's, it's, it's one of the top three or four talked about songs. And I and I wouldn't I would not have put it on the record if you'd left it up, up to me, um, out of insecurity or out of my own little legalism about what makes a worship song. So I'm so thrilled to hear because I do think it is that kind of song that if someone said, "Oh, I can't stand worship music," you could say, "Okay, well, how about this?" And they would say, "Oh, that's not, that doesn't sound anything like a Coldplay Britpop." You know, it sounds yeah. like something entirely different. And the language of it, I love how it's kind of conversational and honest and. I, I want more of that, you know. You know, I, I also was uh, going back to like, 2002 and listening to uh, you sing on Clear the Stage. Oh, wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, um, in the same session with my wife, I'm like, okay, well, here's Jimmy Needham singing it, and here's right. Ross singing it. Now, here's an example of Ross's new album. And the comment is your, vo- your voice has matured in just a, a period of, of time there in such a way that it feels like, when you're singing, at least in my ear, that it's a truer voice. Mm. Right. And I, and I mean in terms of songwriting, in terms of yeah. presentation and just a certain rawness that there's a quality yeah. there. I don't know if, if if you're singing differently or you have a different approach or um, is it just... I probably am. I mean, I, I don't know how, how true this is of most people, but I I can honestly tell you that Listening to my old music is hard, yeah. Because I think I hear in my old, in my singing that I was trying who I wanted to be versus who I was, you know. Yeah. And I can't know who I should have been then, obviously. And I'm not going to go back and regret any of that. But I certainly wanted to sing a certain way, and I wanted to. I had people I emulated and wanted to be like and wanted to sound like, and and even things I thought were ways my voice ought to sound, maybe you know, and. I, I think if, any, if if nothing else, I've just gotten too tired to try that hard. You know, I just want to sing as honestly as I can now because it's all like it's easier. You know, yeah. And 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 I'll say this about this new record: something that was kind of strange was I recorded all the vocals in this office that you're you're looking at uh, by myself with no with no engineer. I had always had had someone do do the engineering and coach me, and and actually found that it helped a lot to be coached. And as a result, my vocal performances probably were technically better then, but they were less honest because I always felt less free to fully just worship or whatever else. And so I would come in here, you know, and again, I'm, you know, I'm grieving my father. I'm, I'm tired from chasing around my kids and, and trying to be a good dad and a good 
worship leader and whatever else. And lots of emotion was coming in. So I'm walking in these rooms and, you know, unbroken, relentless, your love for me is, is endless, you know, or whatever. I'm singing these lyrics and I'm, I'm as, I'm as expressive and sort of charismatic as, as possible in those moments, you know, because yeah. I'm just utterly by myself with God. And so there's probably on the takes, you know, on some of these takes that they're never going to see, see the, the, the light, light of day. There's probably some pretty, uh, uncomfortable moments <laughs> because I just, you know, I was as honest and as, as unfettered as possible, you know, and I hope that results in something really compelling and sincere, you know, and I hope it results in a, in a more true me. Um, so yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, no, I honestly think that's true. Uh, and Dan had a similar response. You know, he's got a producer's ear because he is a, he is a m- music producer mm. and, um, he will, he'll listen for certain things. And his first response, no pun intended, since we're talking about that song yeah. was, was the production quality on this is out, is outstanding. Shouting his word The saints and the angels All it to proclaim The wonderful story The glorious name Oh look and see our God And celebrate the power of the cross and the empty grave and now we're free let the redeemed lift up your heads oh look and see our God and actually that kind of helps me transition a bit because yeah. you know, we just talked to uh, Krista Wells as you're aware of mm-hmm. uh, who's independent and, and you're independent at this point it seems yeah. that the barriers to entry for a lot of folks it, it's not that high anymore and that's um it's so we're kind of inundated with a a volume of music and not all of it is necessarily good i'm curious for you that was a nice way of saying that by the way it was extremely diplomatic not all of it is necessarily good come on joe (laughs) Uh, well it's i'll tell you what i'll I'll, we'll have people from you know push (laughs) albums toward us and we'll we'll pull it up and go man i mean these i know this guy's a nice guy um but that sounds like they were really trying to emulate so and so, right? And right. it doesn't sound like their true voice, right? And it's tough to get to get excited about that, right? And yeah. I don't mean to be you know crass or mean. I'm just saying like it's just because the because there aren't hardly any gate, you know, because there's no gatekeeper for the gate of getting your mu- music out in the world. It is, and artists are painfully not self aware, you know, about yeah. we just think we either think it's all terrible or it's all great most of the time you know and so you're right that is that's definitely true and you you're probably coming coming to a question there sorry i, I interrupted you no no it, re- it really was i was just curious for you to comment a bit on what uh making sure that your voice is heard as it were if you were talking to an independent artist who who wants uh to get some kind of notice mm-hmm. you know and you're one of those people yourself sure right you know, i am how are you yeah. approaching that? Yeah, first of all, if someone else has a better answer than me, I I need it. I need that that answer probably <laughs> too. But but um but I would say that I mean again I'm 41. Okay, so somebody who's 25 will probably have a lot better finger on the pulse in terms of social media because I'm still learning how to do that stuff because I you yeah. know I started doing records in 1995 and CDs were new. You know that was a so I you know how to get them out there and you sold them for fifteen dollars. You know. Yeah. Um, so it's a different world, certainly. Um, but I would say that in terms of getting independent music out there, you have to produce it as well. You have to deliver it as good as you can with an eye towards uh, stewardship of the money that you expect to, to have okay, and, and to make. Like I, I, um, I raised the bar production-wise on this, this, this album, but I did it as, as economically as I could. I, I own a bunch of gear. So I recorded all the vocals here and the acoustics and some, you know, percussion and key stuff. But I had the quality of gear where it wouldn't, it was going to fit in just fine with the, the Nashville guys and whatever, whatever else. 
you'd be surprised, or, or maybe you wouldn't, uh, you know, at how much the production uh, and the sonic, de- 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 the delivery, you know, how much that 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 matters. But at the same time, it's almost like um, it's it's you're sort of choosing what what what's most vital. Like in other words, if I was just wanting to get my songs out. The best thing to, to probably do would be to get a fantastic recording of one instrument and a vocal, mm-hmm. instead of a mediocre recording of an entire band, right? Does, right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Or or a fantastic performance of the acoustic or the piano and, and, and the vocal versus a mediocre performance of a bunch of stuff. So you know you you can have a band that all of them are mediocre pl- players, and the gear you're using is low quality and you have this great song but it just gets it just gets crushed by those things and then and then other times you know unfortunately it can, it can go the other direction where a, a, a really kind of mediocre song can be can 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 be delivered really really well and and it's and it's and it's convincing and all of those are fair ways to do it you know because production matters but all that to say if i was if i was saying to someone hey you think you got a great song Either wait until you can afford to produce it really, really well, or just produce one or two sounds really, really well yeah. and deliver that song. You know, but do not hire six players to record on a on a very inadequate system with inadequate microphones, inadequate preamps, and all and all of that to deliver this song because you get one shot with most people. You know, and that shot's like twenty seconds or whatever. You know, these focus groups or whatever they tell you, you listen to fifteen seconds of the song. So yeah. I, I just think you know, figuring out where where you want to put that that money or that time or that energy, um, and really focusing on that. And if you can do it all, great. I, I tried to do it all on this one. I tried to you know present great songs with great production with great players and all and all that. But you can't always can't always do, do that. And I wouldn't tell someone to, to do that if they expected to sell ten copies. No. Um, you know, I had I had enough fans sort of from back in the day that I knew okay, I can sell this many. Uh, and I had because I have a job as a as a songwriter, I can use these also as demos for these songs, and that's been great. I mean, I've two or three of these songs uh, have got some traction with artists because I think because they were produced well, and because you know the record serves as a good demo. So you've got a kind of a dual platform working as right. a solo artist, as a and as a uh, songwriter, right. Let me throw another question at you, just kind of left, it's not really left field. So you've been doing this since 95. Mm-hmm. Why the heck are you still doing it? Whew. Um, what else? To, to whom shall I go? Lord, you <laughs> have the words of life. Um, no, I uh, I don't know. At this point, it's scary to think about what else I, I would do. I have somehow found a way to be decent at a bunch of different things so that on any given day, if I don't have a way to monetize one thing, there's something else that could be monetized. I know that sounds awful to use a word like monetize, but I mean, no, we are no, talking about life. And, yeah. and so I have done, I've written jingles. I've uh, written kids music. I've, um, you know, uh, had a studio for a while where I produced just nickel and dime work where I just, here's someone wants to sing a karaoke track for their grandmother's 90th birthday, you know, yeah. uh, um, and I've got this thing now where I write with the hope of other artists recording those songs. And I have this thing where I lead at my church and I get a little bit there. And I have this thing where I travel and play like I'm doing a tour this fall, you know. And so so I, to answer your question, it's still happening. All yeah. right. Praise God, you know, by his grace and goodness, it's still ha- happening. And I have a unique probably temperament. And, and you know, you and I were discussing ADD earlier and just... Just, you know, I like change. I love yeah. change. And some people look at, okay, well, my wife and I say all the, all the time there's more than one currency of value, all right? So could I maybe take a job pay, getting paid a decent amount of money at a big church leading worship? Well, I've been offered some, some of those jobs, thankfully. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying thankfully I've gotten those yeah. jobs. But I typically thought, okay, well, that's better pay and it's guaranteed but I, but I have these losses, loss of freedom, and the church I'm in is smaller. But man, I feel really at home there. Yeah. You know, the pay isn't very good, but man, they it's just such a free, free and affirming and life giving place. Um, you know, I this morning I let my wife. We have a newborn uh, baby, and this morning I let my wife sleep in, and I got up and made breakfast and 
you know, my first appointment was with you at 9.30 Central, you know. And so that that's a pretty great life, you know. And, yeah. and we're not, we're not in, by any American, my, any American scale, we're not rich. But I'm able to do what I love. And my job is, is involves people emailing me all the time saying, what, what a great song. That, that's kind of, that's kind of perfect. I mean, who, yeah. to complain about that, you just because I'm not rich or something is foolish, you know? And so I'm so, so fortunate. I mean, and I don't imply that I get hundreds of emails a day saying, what a great song. I'm saying <laughs> that happens to me. I mean, gosh, yeah. you know, a lot of people just wish, oh, I wish someone would, would encourage me. And I, man, I get that stuff way too often. And so to answer your question, because I can probably, you know, why am I still doing it? Because I can. And because I don't know what else I'd do. I really am not good at anything other than, than creative stuff. Well, amen. I think that's, I mean, it's as good as response you can get. And it's a real response. Thanks. It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough business to be in. And that's part of what, you know, we hope to communicate to yeah, folks. And, and I feel so fortunate because, you know, in 1995, I was in college. I was just finishing college. Uh, and I'm going to name drop just because I think it'll, it'll help with something kind of funny. But I, in 1995, I, shared the stage with Cabin's Call at a couple of festivals and some opening act stuff. I was went to some of the first sort of pre-passion stuff and was around Charlie Hall and David Crowder and all those guys. I was in college with Tomlin, set him up on a blind date a couple of times, that kind of stuff. You know, those yeah. people were all sort of my contemporaries. And, and, and a lot of folks who I could mention that right after that got huge and then and now it's over. You know, and yeah. so you got guys like Tomlin or the passion crowd who mostly – you know, it's been great for them. But a lot of folks, they became somebody influential and, and were doing well. And then now they're just, they have a regular job and they're, you know, and that's not bad. I'm saying that they, they didn't last in the music business. So I feel as this very unfamous, very, you know, unsuccessful in terms of those, those scales kind of a person. I feel so fortunate that here I am 18 years later, still making a, making a living. I mean, when I'm out in Nashville as a songwriter, you know, songwriters don't make a whole lot of money unless um, unless they do, sort of, you know. You, you're either making barely anything or you're doing really, really well, and I'm in that first category. But most of my friends that are out there, they're like, you don't have, an, have another job? You know, well, I, you know, we're, I, do the, I do other music things, and they're amazed, you know, that I can do this. And I'm like, hey, me too. I'm so amazed. So all that to say, I mean, I'm, I feel very fortunate to have had a music, a working musician job for 18 years, in relative obscurity, you know, so I feel really happy, you know, and really, really thankful. That's excellent. It's been great to have you on the show, man. You shared some great stuff with our listeners, and uh, I hope we get you back on at some point to talk about uh, some of your experience in the industry. Thank you so much, Joe. I'd be glad to do that anytime. Cool. Take care. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right. That was my interview with uh, Ross King. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. I had a, a lot of fun chatting with Ross. In fact, um, you guys heard uh, uh, only about half of our conversation. I think we went on for very nearly an hour and a half. However, I needed to cut out the parts uh, where we were discussing the uh, Marvel versus DC universe because apparently he's a DC, uh, excuse me, a Marvel fan. And um, we just can't have that kind of propaganda on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, and from what I recall, when I was watching your Twitter feeds later on, uh, you were going back and forth uh, with previous episode feature uh, people um, regarding the same topic. Uh, yes. Yeah. Travis Thrasher and Peyton Jones, who we've interviewed previously, are, are both uh, fans of uh, DC Comics. And I'm wasting everybody's time right now, but I can't help it. Uh, Ross is very <laughs> definitely on the on the Marvel train. And uh, if if you want to get Ross spun up, and I don't necessarily encourage this. Just uh, just bring up the superiority of Batman and just watch the whole thing crumble. <laughs> well, I think we're a Marvel house here, but I'm not going to go any more detail. But I have yeah. young boys. Well, uh, from a family-friendly perspective, the movies are uh, much more accessible. In fact, I think I just heard one of my sons mention or, or call down to me about it, so... Anyways, we'll move on from that. But uh, again, thanks for that interview. And uh, man, we have so many coming up. I'm really looking forward to the next, uh, well, couple months, really. We have some main feature uh, interviews on top of what we just had. Um, do we have, do you want to share some of that? Well, yeah, what's kind of, what's kind of exciting is um, up here at 
uh, the Christian Musician Summit, a couple of the artists that we're featuring uh, this month in interviews are actually here. Um, the first is uh, Don Portress, uh, another, not a household name, but uh, somebody that you should probably know. Now, Dan, you know who Don is, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Good. No, Don is uh, is a uh, country and Christian songwriter, and he is uh, uh, co-writes with many of the folks that you are, are household names. Has a, a number of number one hits and has won uh, numerous songwriting awards, both on the country and the Christian side of things. And probably one of the nicest folks that you will ever meet, and in- incredibly talented guy. Well, and you've had the opportunity to uh, to rub shoulders with some of these folks, so I'm I'm a little bit jealous um, because I'm so far away. Um, the other person uh, that uh, we've recently interviewed is Tim Timmons. He's a, an essential worship artist, and he will be performing tonight uh, during uh, the concert. And so he'll be flying in today, and uh, I may or may not have an opportunity to say hi to him. But we uh, we have an interview with him coming up here very shortly too, and uh, he's got a great story. And uh, he's uh, a, a great, passionate message um, about serving the church. And I'm uh, looking forward to share that with folks, too. And uh, uh, speaking of sharing, um, we're always available online at Frequency.fm. Uh, but you can also engage with us. Uh, we're, we're, most of the time we're online on Twitter at FrequencyFM or on Facebook as well at the same name. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Um, our goal is to get uh, great stories and great people um, in front of you so that uh, you have the opportunity to meet um, who we think are uh, worth listening to and worth um, learning more about. So we appreciate your time uh, listening to our podcast and also uh, joining us online. Yeah, we do. We do appreciate you. And, uh, you know, any feedback you want to provide, we're really we're really open to it. And uh, we love hearing from folks. Great. Well, thank you, Joe. And uh, until next time, God bless. God bless you, sir. Let's record another one soon. Okay.